You're listening to an audio sermon from Redemption Church in Olds, Alberta. It is our prayer that through this ministry, we will see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, or to let us know how we can be praying for you, visit us online at www.redemptionolds.com or send us an email at info at redemptionolds.com. Turn your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 3, um, looking at uh, verses 20 to 21. So if you don't have a Bible on you, uh, there should be one in a pew nearby. Grab that. Um, if you don't have a Bible or a Bible you can read easily, take that one. Keep it. It's our gift to you. We're glad to have you uh, take those. Um, but uh, we want you to have God's Word open on your lap because I have nothing of value to say. I bring nothing this morning. Um, my hope is just to open up God's Word uh, and that we sit under it together, um, that we see together um, what God has said uh, and are changed and transformed by that. Um, as you're finding Colossians 3, um, kids, I want to ask you guys about a couple of movies. When's the last time we talked about movies in church? Um, never. Um, how many of you seen the movie Luca? Anybody seen that one? Okay, okay, some of you guys. That's a fairly new movie. Let's go back a little further. How about Little Mermaid? How many of you seen Little Mermaid? A few more. Parents, how many of you seen Little Mermaid? Okay, Carissa's a little too excited about Little Mermaid. That's all right. It's a good one. Um, yeah, these are movies that we know, movies we've seen. Maybe let me just put a parenthesis in here. Parents, this is not Judgment, I'm not shaming you. My family, we've watched these movies together. That's not the point here. But I want us to think a little bit more carefully about these movies. And I hope you're thinking this way already. Um, Kids and parents, we need to realize every movie we sit down to is trying to teach us something. There's a message there. Every time we watch, there are are lessons weaved through that movie um, that often we don't even realize. We don't even see it. The story of Luca, the story of the Little Mermaid, both of them um, pretty similar in some surface ways. Um, Underwater creatures seeking to go to the surface, but but there's actually a deeper theme that I want to look at and just to identify, because I think this happens all around us. Both of these movies are significant with the the relationship of the parents to the children. The parents warn the children, right? Luca's parents warn him, the little mermaid's dad, don't go to the surface. Don't go up there. It's scary. It's dangerous. You'll get hurt. Don't go. There will be a bad thing if you go up to the surface. Don't, Don't talk to the humans. They're scary. They're dangerous. Stay here. Stay here where it's safe. And in both movies, what happens? Kids, do do Luca and the Little Mermaid, do they listen to their parents? Do they? No. No, they don't. They go up to the surface. And let me ask you this. By the end of the movie, is that seen to be the right decision or the wrong decision? Was it a a good thing in the movies? It seemed to be a good thing or a bad thing that they went up to the surface. It's a good thing, right? It turns out the humans weren't scary at all. It wasn't dangerous. It was really nice. And, and Luca and the Little Mermaid are seen to be brave and wise. And they're the, they're the hero for what they did. Everyone gets this, this happily ever after. Both of those movies are quietly 
without us even noticing, they're teaching us. It's a good thing that they disobeyed their parents. It was the right thing. Their parents warned them about danger and their parents were, were wrong. Maybe sometimes it's better for you to disobey your parents. If we disobey our parents, maybe my true joy, my true happiness, my happily ever after will, will be found by not doing what my parents say, by following my own wisdom. Do you see that? Do you see how these movies are, are teaching that? And of course, the reason they do it is we like it, right? Like we like to be told maybe you're a little bit smarter. Maybe you know better than your parents. Maybe you're the one who was right all along and everyone else is wrong. Our hearts kind of rise up to meet that story, don't they? And so it's not just these movies that are whispering to us, hey, disobey, do your own thing, go your own way, follow your heart. That same message also comes from our heart too, doesn't it? So Luca is quietly whispering, hey, disobey your parents. Little mermaid quietly whispering, it's okay, you know better. Our heart comes up right there, do what you think is right. And it's easy for us to forget, to stop and ask, hey, what does God say? What does God tell us in this? That's the most important question. So first, kids, how do we even know what God says? Where would we go to find what, what God says we should do? Anybody? Come on, anybody? Yeah, what do you think, Grace May? The Bible, yeah. We call it God's word because inside are God's words. It's the Bible. So while you guys have been in children's ministry, we've been studying the book of Colossians together up here. And the last sermon was to your moms and dads, the husbands and wives and how they should live. Uh, this week with you here, this verse is looking about children and parents. So let me read it for us and then we'll talk about what it means. So Colossians chapter three, starting at verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Would you pray with me? Father, you know our hearts. You know how difficult these words are to children and parents alike. How our weakness and our frailty and our sin undermines these commands at every turn. God, we long to see children knowing your grace, trusting in you, walking in obedience to their parents as an act of worship to you. God, would you help the kids here this morning to see the goodness of your command, the grace that it is to them. And parents who are raising their children uh, in the in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, pointing them to your grace, faithfully uh, representing you. Lord, would you be at work this morning, building us, forming us um, by the work of your spirit through your great gospel to the glory of your name and to children and parents who live how you have called us to live. God, we ask these things in Jesus' name.
So this verse talks both to the children and then to the parents. Um, So first to the children. God says through Paul, in the name of the Lord, obey. Right? We think, what, what does God say we should do? Well, he's really clear. Children, obey your parents. That's point one. In the name of the Lord, obey. Now, why did I put it that way? What's this thing about in the name of the Lord? Well, we, we use that back talking about husbands and wives as well. Um, and, and, and the reason is chapter three, it, Paul has been talking about what does it mean to live as a Christian? Now, I get, you guys got your fill-ins going, kids? I didn't announce this. Anyone need a fill-in? Anyone's got one? All right. So you should have at least, you should have one filled in already. So Colossians 3 starts off, what does it mean to live as a Christian, a follower of Jesus? Now, we're going to be careful here. He's not talking about how do I become a Christian, right? We know we are sinners. We disobey God. We think, say, and do things uh, that we should not. And there's only one way to be forgiven, right? To be made right with God, and that is trusting in Jesus. So we have to get this. God doesn't say, clean yourself up and then come to me. No, he says, come to me, trust me, and I will clean you. I will make you right. I will forgive your sin, and then I will make you holy. So often we're like, I gotta get everything figured out, and then I'll go to God. God says, no, 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 bring it all here. Bring all your mess. I want it. I'll fix it. Trust in me. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid that penalty for our sin, our punishment, the sins of all those who would trust in him, who would just come to him with their mess and and say, God, forgive me. So that's how you become a Christian. That's, That's step number one. The question that Paul's answering here is now, how do I live as a Christian? From that point forward, what should my life look like? And the simple answer, the kind of boiled down nutshell answer is chapter three, verse 17. You should probably be able to just look up the page and see it there. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's it. Everything you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I hope that you hear that and you wonder, okay, but what does that look like? What does that mean for me? How do I do everything? What what do I do in the name of the Lord Jesus? Um, Because that's what verse 20 is is answering. Verse 20 is saying, hey kids, do you want to know how you can live your life for Jesus? Do you want to know how you can live as a Christian? This is how. This is what it looks like. First for, for husbands and wives to live this out and now for children and parents. He's given us real ground-level, practical application. What does it mean for you to live your life for Jesus? Kids, I want you to notice something. God's writing to you. You see that? He's writing to you guys. Uh, It must have been family worship Sunday in Colossae. Who knew? This wasn't our idea first. Because Paul wrote this letter to the church to be read to the whole congregation. And as Paul is writing, he's like, hey, kids, I know you're listening. Pay attention. God cares about you. Now, in one sense, the whole Bible's for you. You know that, right? But, but this is like specific for where you are in your life. You matter to God. God thinks about your life and how you obey him and how you honor him. God wants you to know what's, what's right and wrong and, and, and to do the right thing. So this is what it means to be a child 
who is a Christian. Now, I want to hit pause there for a second to teenagers. I know you would hate to be lumped in under the title children. And I've been talking to the kids and using cartoon references. Um, I hope in your maturity, you're able to see um, this isn't just the little kids, right? Um, The word that Paul uses here uh, is technon. And uh, it's not an age thing. My kids tried that already this week. Dad, I'm not a kid. I'm a teenager. And I was like, oh, buddy, I've been studying this passage. Let's go. Um, It's relationship. If you are living at home, under your parents' authority, under their protection, eating their food, under their care, this is you. This is you. Now, I know your relationship is in the process of changing with your parents as you grow more mature and then as you move out and again as you get married and start your own family. But, but if this is you living at your parents' home, they're providing for you, this is, this is you. So don't, don't let yourself off the hook here. Don't believe Satan's lie that you're, you're above this and you'll, you'll just rob yourself of God's grace to you, God's blessing for you that's here. So um, I'm, I'm hoping you're including yourself in this as we talk. This is what God says you should do. If you want to live as a Christian, you want to know how you as a child, as a teen at home, teen at home can, be, can be faithful to Christ. And maybe you're thinking, I can't do much. Like, I'm just a kid. I'm just here at home. Like, what can, I can't feed the poor. I don't have a bunch of money that I could give that would make some, some big difference. And, and you're thinking maybe that, 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 that living for Jesus is something out there, something you'll do when you grow up, something you'll do later, once you're kind of established. Guess what? Parents keep thinking that way too. You're gonna always have that out, that thing on your mind. And maybe that's a later thing, a bigger thing. Or you're thinking, I'm just gonna enjoy being a kid now. I'm just going to enjoy being a teen and doing this thing. And when I'm older, when it, when it really matters, then I'll live for Christ. Don't do it. Have a look at verse 20. I want you to notice living for Jesus starts at home. Living for Jesus starts at home. But that's so simple. That's so boring. That's not a big, amazing thing. No, it is. It's so important. And actually, I think it's really hard. In fact, I think it's one of the hardest commands here. And I think that in this, that God has this for us, is such an important thing for us to see. The timing here, as you learn to obey your parents as a child walking in that, this is, this is important. And the next two words show why this is so hard. Look down, obey your parents in everything. Ouch. Everything? Really? Everything. It would have been easy if Paul had said, obey your parents in most things, right? We could all do most things, at least some things. But, but if, if it said, hey, obey your parents most of the time, that's not too hard. There are times you can obey the things that... When you agree, your parents tell you to do something and and you think, that's a good idea. I'll do that. That'll be fine. That makes sense. What about when they ask you to do something that that doesn't make sense? That isn't logical. You don't get it. There are going to be times. Your parents are going to tell you to do something that you are sure is just plain wrong. 
It's going to happen. I had this conversation in my house this morning. Showers are stupid. Why? I hate them. I know. I know. In everything. There will be times you're going to be sure. This is silly. My mom has gone crazy. Why should I wear a jacket? It's warm outside. Why should I eat dinner? This is terrible. Why should I go to bed now? I'm not tired. Why can't I go hang out with those friends? They're not dangerous. They're not a bad influence on me. Why can't I watch this movie? Why can't I play that video game? It is not as bad as my parents think. They're wrong. I'm right. Again, your parents will regularly ask you to do things that you don't want to do, that you don't like to do, and things that you are sure are just plain dumb. And God says, obey them in everything, all of it. You'll have to learn to do one of the hardest things in the world that Christians have to learn to do often. Parents, think about this as you're shepherding your children. You must learn to not trust your own heart. To not trust your own heart. That's hard. Especially when the whole world and every single Disney movie is telling you, follow your heart. And, and Christ says, don't listen. Heart is deceitful above all else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Your parents tell you to do something that you don't understand. You have to learn to look at what you think and what you feel are good and right and proper and what you really want to do and not trust it. And trust God. When he says, no, obey your parents. He says, that will be better for you. That will be good for you. Obey your parents in everything. Obey them in the little things. Obey them in the hard things. Obey them in the boring things. Obey them in the things that you don't like. Obey them in the things that you think are dumb. Everything. Teens, this gets hard for you guys, doesn't it? Man, I know that. You're learning to make your own decisions. You're growing into your own person. You understand the world so much better than you did even just a year or two ago. And you have your own opinions and, and, and you're learning to make your own judgments. And that's a good thing. And as you grow, that will continue. And you'll begin taking on more of that burden of decision making. And you might even be right about those things. But this command still applies. In fact, it especially applies to you. Obey your parents in everything. Learning to obey your parents is how you learn to obey God. That's God's design, his structure. You're under your parents now and you have this gift of your father on earth who you can see testing your will and testing your ability to, to doubt yourself and trust in someone else. And eventually you're gonna move out and he's gonna step to the side and then you need to trust God that way. If you can't trust your dad that way, you're not gonna be able to trust God that way. It's a training ground. There's a glory in that. You can, you can be excited about that. You can recognize there's something more going on here than what's happening with me and my dad. There's an eternal training that God is doing. I got a battle to fight here. I got some stuff to learn. Now, it has to be said, there is a limit to that everything. 
right? doesn't mean absolutely everything. Well, how do we know that? Well, look at the text. It says, in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Your obedience to your parents pleases the Lord. Now, we're gonna, that's an awesome truth we're going to look at it in just a minute. But, but first, let's, let's just catch this. What if your parents told you to do something that was sin? Would that please the Lord? Not something silly, something that's sin. No, no, that would, that would cross a line, right? That's, that's no longer pleasing to the Lord. So you do not obey your parents if they're asking you to sin. I don't think this is happening in our church. But if your mom or dad ask you to steal something or to lie to someone or, or to not love God, do you obey that command? No, if you have to choose between obeying God and obeying your father, you obey God. But you need to be careful here. Teens, oh, be careful here. This is a small loophole, not a big one, right? I know you're going to want to push on this. I know you're going to want to say, eating salad is sin. Those poor plants, how can we do that? These vegetables are screaming out. It's murder, dad. No. It's sin for me not to go hang out with my friends. I need to go be with. No, be careful. You have a clear command from God to obey your parents. And he even says in everything. And so before you even think about pulling this card out, before you even think about disobeying, you better be very sure you have an equally clear command from the Lord, right? That would be a very serious thing for you to bring this up to your parents. You would still have to honor them. And so you still need to come to them in, in humility and respect with your Bible open and say, I love you, I respect you, um, but because of these verses, I don't think I can do what you've asked me to do. But if you don't have clear verses, if it's muddy and you're not sure, well, you do have this clear verse. I'd go back to this one. Obey this command. God will honor that. Obey your parents. Now let's get to the, the good side of this, the exciting side of this. Look at this. Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. It pleases the Lord. Your obedience to your parents is worship. That's fantastic. That's amazing. It's a, it's a spiritual act of worship. You ever think about that? I want you to think about it. The, the next time you humbly and joyfully say the words, okay, mom, Yes, Dad. I want you to think about that as, as worship to God. It pleases Him. You've made the God of the universe happy by your actions. Obedience is, is worship. We, we often think of worship as like just the, the singing that we do here on Sundays, and absolutely, this is like the, the climax of our worship, but worship is all of life. It's all that we say and do throughout the week, and this is a big part of it for you guys. How do I worship Jesus as a kid? It's by saying, okay, mom, if your dad tells you to put on a coat, I want you to choose to obey as worship for God and make the God of the universe pleased. You worship God. He notices. He loves it. So obedience to your parents is, is obedience to God. Kids, and again, especially older kids and teenagers, there's a freedom here. Like, this is a beautiful place to live inside that 
care of your parents. You no longer have to toil hard and and think about what your parents ask you to do and is it right and is it best? Is it the good thing to do and wonder is it a good idea or not? You can know with confidence. If they're asking you to do something that's not sin, the right thing to do is simply humbly, joyfully obey. I hate showers, I know. I don't think it's a good idea. Is that what matters? No, I'm gonna honor God in obeying. I'm gonna worship as I shower, even though I hate it. And that's then pushing it down a little bit further. Knowing with confidence that this is worship, we can simply, humbly, and even joyfully obey, right? Little phrase we use at our house, right away, all the way, with a happy heart. That happy heart, oh, that's a stinker. That's hard. That's difficult. How do I do it happily? I hate it. Well, here's how, by actually trusting God. And that's why it's so important. That's why it matters so much. If we're supposed to please the Lord by our obedience, is it enough to do it begrudgingly? Like, what if my heart is angry and I slam the door, but I still kind of do the thing they've asked? Have I obeyed? No. No, that's not what the Lord's asking for. You get Romans 6, 17. Paul says this of the, the church at Rome, thanks be to God that you were once slaves to sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Obedient from the heart. True obedience has to come from the heart. Mumbling, grumbling, angrily obeying isn't actually obeying at all. That doesn't please the Lord because it doesn't trust the Lord. It doesn't actually believe that this is good, right? If we trusted the Lord, We would trust that his commands are good for us, that this really is what is best for us. This command to to honor my parents is for my good, even when I don't want to, even when I don't see it, I don't understand it. The all-wise God of the universe has told me this is what I need to do for my joy. So I'm going to go for it. You know, the story of the little mermaid, the story of Luca, remind me of another story. Another story from a Long time ago in a land far, far away, but this is a true story. A story of a man and a woman, and they lived in a perfect home. Everything was wonderful. They had all that they needed. There was nothing to make them sad or scared or afraid. Everything was perfect and wonderful. Anyone know who that man and woman were? Anyone? What do you think? No. Earlier than that, I'll give you a hint. They lived in a garden. Yeah, Adam and Eve, everything was wonderful. They lived with God in this garden. They had everything they needed, God's presence with them, and they had one rule in their perfect garden. What was the rule? Somebody know it? Yeah. Yes, don't eat from that tree in the middle of the garden. That was the one rule. Pretty easy to keep if everything's perfect and happy and wonderful. And someone else entered the garden. Satan slithered in in the form of a serpent. And he slipped up to Eve and he said in his most charming voice, did God really say we shouldn't eat from the tree in the garden? What's he doing? Why did he ask that question? 
He wanted Eve to think, maybe you shouldn't obey God. Maybe she was actually smarter than God. Maybe, maybe you should make your own decisions. Don't trust God. Maybe it's good. This is Luke and the Little Mermaid happening again. Maybe it's better above the surface. Maybe they're wrong. Maybe you should trust your own heart. Maybe your true joy and happiness, your your happily ever after is going to be by, by disobeying God. And Eve believed him. Look at Genesis 3, 6. Be on the screen for you. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was able, or sorry, was desired to make one wise. Look at that. She's trusting herself. She's trusting her own heart. She looked at it with her eyes and it looked good. It was a delight to the eyes. It was good for food. It was going to feed her tummy. And it was desired to make one wise. She longed for it with her heart. She thought about it and she thought it would be good. Eve trusted her heart more than God. But in the true story, in God's story, how did that end? Was that a good thing by the end of the movie? Was it a wonderful thing that Eve trusted her own heart and and went along and, and disobeyed? No, no, it was bad. It was really bad. Really, really bad. Because of that choice, sin and death entered the world. They were kicked out of their perfect garden. They lost the the presence of God with them. And and not only them, but every human born after them was born into a world filled with pain and sin and suffering and would die one day because of sin. That's the real story. That's what actually happens when we decide, no, I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to trust my heart instead of God's commands. God's commands are good for us. God's commands are a gift to us because God wants good for us. We need to see the the wonder of that. God's rules are always for our good. God is never trying to keep you from joy. He's never trying to keep you from happiness and fun. He is trying to direct you toward the greatest eternal joy. If we trust him, we can obey with joy. Kids, this is the number one way. This is the everyday way that you can live out what it actually means to be a Christian. Just the same importance as everything your parents are doing. You're following Christ, obeying your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord, and it'll be good for you. It'll be God's blessing for you. Now let's shift gears. Let's look at verse 21. Kids, I want you to stay with me, but we're going to talk with your parents a little bit now. Verse 21 then says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. The Lord doesn't just have words for the kids here. He speaks to us as well as parents. Point two, parents, raise your children in the name of the Lord. Same, same focus, right? In the name of the Lord, how do, we, how do we do everything we say and do in the name of the Lord? Well, as parents, this is how. Now, the text says fathers, and I said parents. What's going on? Why the switch? Well, this certainly is not meant to exclude mothers. So I want to bring you in on this. Absolutely. He just said children obey your parents, both of them. 
together. Um, you're a team in this. But he addresses the fathers specifically because fathers, as we saw in the last sermon, you're the head of the home. The buck stops with you. You're the one who is ultimately responsible for the direction and the, and the tone in your family. And so fathers, we need to take this very seriously. And I, and I know how this works. You're away for most of the day. You're out working, doing your thing. It's easy to feel like the children at home, that's, that's my wife's job. Training, disciplining, raising the kids. She does that. She does a fantastic job. That's great. And, and I get it. Especially if she's home all day, she has patterns and routines and structures and you come home and you're like, I don't even know what's going on. She's been disciplining all day and, and you don't even, is this the first time this has happened or the 32nd time? I don't know. Your partnership with your wife in this is absolutely crucial, right? Husbands, your wife is your helper, but you need to lead. You better be listening carefully to her. She is your God-given helper. That is a big deal. When you get home, you better be asking, how was your day? What happened? Is there anything I need to know about? But you also need to recognize this is your responsibility to, to set the, the direction and the expectations, to set the bar. You're the head of the home. And that means when you get home, um, it's time for you to step up. It's time for you to take over the, the instructing and the discipline that's happening, the teaching and the training, leading the way with your family. That old threat, just wait till your father gets home, that's okay. Um, th 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 there's room for that. Fathers, man, I get it. I was working on seminary and doing concrete and working long, long days and I would drive home and... Uh, eventually figured this out. I just need to stop my truck at the driveway for a minute and I need to pray. I need to quiet my heart because my tendency is want to walk in and see my wife and dump all of my problems on her. But I'm to love her as Christ loved the church and lay down my life for her. I need to get my heart in the right place so that I can walk in the door and take problems off of her. I need to walk in and be a blessing to her. I need to walk in and say, hey, I got this. I can handle this little kid fight over here. I can deal with the discipline that's been waiting. I will come and be your rescuer in this, laying down our desires in that. Um, that's a challenge. But once again, fathers, it's, it's significant that it's also a command here for you, right? Because we like to see ourselves as the head of the home, the, the top of the food chain, uh, and, and that would have been normal in these kind of household codes in, in the time of the writing here. But, but this command, God's command, says, oh no, fathers, you're not top of the chain. Fathers are also under authority. You're under authority. If, as verse 20 says, they are obeying you, your children are obeying you in order to please the Lord, um, you're just the middleman. You're not the top of the pyramid which means you're not to rule according to the things that you value, the things that you appreciate, building your own little kingdom in the home. So look at Ephesians 4, uh, 6, 4, sorry, uh, kind of the paral parallel passage here. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Not your discipline, not your instruction, the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
Fathers are God's tool for building his kingdom. You're God's tool as he builds his kingdom. And so if you're building your kingdom, you're no longer building his kingdom. You're no longer an ambassador as you're meant to be. You're now a traitor and an insurrectionist. That's a scary thing. That one hits a little too close to home for me. I don't know about you. How's this going in your home? When you discipline, are you disciplining in the discipline of the Lord? How would you know? Well, firstly, I think it has to be said in our day and age, that means you have to discipline. That's not optional. You have to discipline. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is, a dilig- is diligent to discipline him. Kids, when your parents say, I do this because I love you, they mean it. They got their biblical grounds for that. You must discipline your children. I'm going to push that even a little further into the uncomfortable here. When speaking about disciplining children, Proverbs consistently and specifically doesn't speak of consequences in a general vague sense. It speaks of the rod. At very least, there is strong biblical precedent, if not command, to be lovingly spanking your children. That's God's design, I think. Now, that's never done in anger. That's never done out of exasperation in the heat of the moment. That's that's not what we're talking about. This is a careful, loving, calm, instructive application. So discipline. We must discipline. But secondly, it must be the the discipline of the Lord. Again, not my discipline, the, the Lord's. That's tough. To what extent is your parenting serving your own kingdom rather than God's kingdom? As a father, as a parent, how often are you, are you driven by, by God's gospel purposes as you discipline in the home? And how often is it just about my convenience and my comfort? I just need you to be quiet because I'm fed up. It's not the discipline of the Lord. Parents are supposed to be ambassadors of the Lord, helping our children see the, the, the connection between sin and suffering. Spanking has a really easy application there. Sin hurts. Here's a very practical way how. Pointing them then to the grace of God and the gospel. Right? Man, you've had a rough day. Yeah. You just kept sinning and sinning and getting discipline after discipline. That's been a brutal thing, hasn't it? Yeah. Was today a good day? No. Why was today a bad day? Because I was sinful. Man, that's what sin in our hearts looks like. Do you see that? Aren't you glad we have a Savior? This is what Jesus came to do, to forgive us of our sin and, and transform us by his grace. Our ultimate goal is not a change of behavior, but the transformed heart right? Change of behavior happens quick and easy. Just sit down and be quiet. Change of the heart takes time. Change of the heart is is careful application of discipline um, over the long haul. But that's what the Lord is after. That's the, the proper goal of all discipline. And so when you discipline, are you addressing the heart? Are you, are you talking about sin and gospel and, and repentance and weaving that into your conversation? It's like 15 gospel conversations in one day sometimes. It's fantastic, I guess. Um, We're to be instructing 
teaching as we discipline. Um, but not only in discipline, the, the discipline of the Lord, but also the instruction of the Lord. Um, Deuteronomy 6, 6-7 says, uh, These words that I command to you today are to be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. And talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. We should be constantly teaching our children. Not just in discipline, but all the time. As, we, as you walk by the way, when you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night. Are we talking to them about who the Lord is? Instilling this, this biblical worldview in them. We see the, the sunrise and say, wow, isn't our God beautiful that he created this for us? Constantly, regularly, informal ways as, as these teachable moments come and go, but also formally. Are you teaching your kids? Are you taking time um, for, for family devotions together? Are you teaching them uh, formally? We've used a number of different resources in our home. Um, I just made another order for the library because I like to do that. Um, most of you know this one. It keeps disappearing out of our library. I think we have like four copies as a church now. Um, this is a beautiful, simple, no one is too young for this book, going through the, the stories of the Bible and pointing them to Christ, pointing them to the gospel. Just sit down as a family after supper, read one through, talk about it, pray about it. Um, New City Catechism, um, if you've not seen this, fantastic resource. Um, there's an app that goes along with it as well. So it has, um, as a classic catechism, kind of a question answer and a Bible verse, and your kids can memorize that. Um, if you have good grandparents like we do, they might even bribe your kids with cash to memorize it. Um, I'm not above that. Um, and then a devotional that goes with it. The devotionals are a little bit, they're, they're, they're rich. You might need to translate them a little bit for your kids, but that's what we're going through right now, enjoying that. Um, if your kids are a little bit older, maybe kind of 10 and up, um, big truths for young hearts. Um, this is written by my theology professor from seminary. Um, so fantastic guy, Bruce Ware. Um, just a great, is it, is it, if you, most of you men will know the Wayne Grudem's systematic theology. This is the kid's version. Just start to finish. What do we believe? Um, great illustrations, conversational kind of writing. Um, but honestly, as, as Beth and I were talking about this last week, the thing that we both agreed um, has been the most beneficial, the most fruitful in our family has just been to read a short paragraph of scripture and talk about it. What do you see here? What do you think about this? What does this mean for us in our lives? Um, and, and then just five minutes, just read, talk, pray, maybe 10, 15 on a, on a great day. Um, this little book here, it is, let me see, under under 80 pages, um, written by Don Whitney, um, another one of my professors from Southern, fantastic guy, and just a simple why and how of, of doing that, family devotions together. Um, these are all gonna be in the library right after the service. If you're interested in one, rush up there, grab it. If it's gone when you get there, buy your own. Um, they're on Amazon. Um, but, but do it, take that time. Sit down with your family. Um, and talk about God's word. Talk about who God is. And, and again, I get it. It's crazy. Kids are crying and screaming. And one's shoving asparagus up his nose. And all of a sudden, everyone has to pee for some reason. Um, it, it just, it, it's nuts. But you don't have to hit home runs every evening. This game is won by just solid singles, night after night after night. Just continually laying one more piece 
talking together, um, press through, battle through the chaos, persist in that, um, and be faithful. Remember Don Whitney talking about his daughter, uh, valedictorian, sharing with her school, her growing up years, and he said, we were, our family devotions were brutal. It was chaos. There was food flying. Nobody was listening. And, and I, could, I was never prepared. I could never think of what to say. And, and it was so irregular because our life was busy and we'd go long stretches without doing it. And his daughter sharing, those were the best times. We did, we did it constantly. Dad never missed family devotions. He was like, how do you, what are you remembering? Um, she's just remembering the best, that God is using that foundation that he laid over time. Um, so teach them. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So that's the, the positive side. That's the, the instruction side. Both Ephesians and Colossians have also, though, the negative command. So not just the, the do, teach them, and instruct them in the Lord, but also the do not. Look back at verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. The word provoke there is pretty straightforward. Don't push them. Don't make it hard on them. Don't aggravate them, irritate them. Don't let your sin make it harder for them to obey than it already is. Fathers, mothers too, but specifically fathers, we are so prone to provoking our children, being hard, demanding, expecting in ways that are not helpful. In a way that will cause them to lose heart, to be discouraged, to just, to just give up on even trying to obey you. Don't provoke them. Thinking this through with, with Beth a little bit this week, um, you're welcome. We did the hard, hard work for you. Um, we tried out a whole bunch of different ways to provoke our children um, so you don't have to. Um, let me just throw out there a list of things that we came up with. Um, one list from us, not extensive. We haven't tried everything, pretty close, but um, think about these things. Um, and uh, husbands, I would just encourage you, um, jot these down or steal your kids, fill in. And uh, maybe later this week, just sit down with your wife and go, okay, what's, what's one thing off this list that we're prone to, that we can work on, that we can grow in? So here's the list we came up with. Number one, being too restrictive, too high of a standard, something they can never live up to no matter what they do. It's just never good enough. We've set the bar too high. Number two is being too permissive. We don't really have standards. We have these kind of mushy boundaries on the edge. We no one's really sure where they are. And, and, and we've just, we've been too permissive and let everything go. Kids need those healthy boundaries. They, they thrive with that. They need rules. Another way to provoke your children is to be unclear. Either the, the rules are not clearly defined or you've not clearly explained them. You need to have clear rules and you need to communicate clearly. They need to know what to expect if they're not going to be provoked by your rules. Number four is to be consistent. Um, not only do you need to explain the rules clearly, but you need to enforce them consistently. Don't, don't let them get away with something four times and then come crashing down on them the fifth time. That, that will just provoke them. That will cause them to lose heart. Listen, if the rule doesn't really matter, get rid of it. If it matters, discipline it consistently a hundred times in a row. 
You don't have to escalate your discipline. Don't fall into that trap. Maybe that's another one. I'm getting angry and angry. You've done this eight times now. Clearly you're not understanding. No, just consistently, this is the wall and this is the discipline. Every time, over and over and over again, be faithful, be consistent. Number five, then, is being hypocritical. Enforcing rules that we don't live by. I expect you to speak a certain way, but I don't. We're serious about your sin, but we excuse my sin. Alongside that, we provoke our children by not admitting our own sin. Don't be afraid to repent to your kids. That's humbling. That is humbling. When you sin against them and you do snap on the fifth time and it had nothing to do with the discipline of the Lord, it had to do with your own kingdom and your own lack of patience, they, they know it and we need to admit it. We need to be honest about that. They need to see their daddy as a sinner who knows how to repent. And here's the bonus. Some of your richest gospel conversations will come not out of pointing at their sin, but pointing to yours. There's great value in that sanctifying work of God in our hearts at the same time. Number seven, we provoke our children by showing favoritism comparing them to one another or to, to other kids. Why can't you just be like the neighbor kid? You see what he did? Eight, by disciplining with shame or mocking. Such an easy thing to default to. It sneaks in in insidious ways. You should know better. What are you, three years old? How long do we have to do this? Grow up. Don't mock. Don't shame lovingly, patiently disciplined. Another one I find particularly hard, we provoke our children when we fail to listen to them. How many times I've come into the room and somehow because I am a father, I just know. I know what's going on. And, and I, I don't want to hear your excuses. And a child starts talking and I shut them down and I deal out the discipline. And when I finish my tirade, one of the kids speaks up and I was totally wrong. I missed it. I was just out to lunch. I had no idea what was going on and my discipline was out of line. Uh, we need to be willing to listen. Number 10 then, we provoke our children when we lack compassion. I know you think it's a small thing that their Lego broke. You'll fix it in five minutes. And it is a small thing, but it's not to them. It is a big deal in their world. And, and yes, they need to learn not to punch their brother over it. But at the same time, we, we need to be compassionate. We need to genuinely mourn with those who mourn, even if it is over spilled milk. Finally, number 11, we provoke our children when we fail to distinguish between foolishness and sin, between childishness and rebellion. Those are very different. They're very different. There's it's just painful to watch a child being disciplined for just being childlike. Yes, teach them to be quiet in restaurants or to walk more carefully when they're carrying something precious. Help them grow in that. But that's not sinful behavior. That's not rebellion that needs to be met with, with consequences. They're, now, maybe after being instructed a few times and they're still not paying attention and, and they're disregarding you, then yeah, maybe discipline becomes appropriate at that point. But, but be careful to leave room for just gentle instruction of simple childish behavior. 
Now, certainly there are many other ways to provoke your children, but that list gave me a lot to think about again. Um, Another list that I think is very helpful, um, deceptively simple list out of Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. If we're to be ambassadors of Christ in our parenting, then our parenting should be marked by the, the, the fruit of the Spirit of Christ. So just walk through it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Don't be overwhelmed. Pick one, maybe one a day or one a week, and just how, how does love embodied in my parenting? How is, how is patience embodied in my parenting? How can I grow in that? Pursue these things. Let them transform you as a parent. But church, this is, this is it. This is what it means to live for Christ in, in simple, everyday ways. The mundane parts of life in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to the glory of God. This, this is our worship. Our lives, our actions as as children and parents are so much more than we often think of them. How we live as children, how we live as parents matters. It matters to the Lord. This is radical obedience in regular life. It means something in the eyes of the Lord. It has has eternal values. We do it out of worship to him. Last week I finished reading through um, the Old Testament and uh, came to the book of Malachi and uh, found it so striking. All of the prophecies of the Messiah, these statements of, of hope and, and expectation, the promised one who would come and, and crush the head of the serpent, the son of Abraham through whom all the nations would be blessed, the prophet greater than Moses who would reveal God's law to us in its fullness, the conqueror greater than Joshua, who would defeat our greatest enemy, who would bring us into the the true eternal promised land, the king greater than David, who would rule in ultimate power, bringing complete peace and whose kingdom would never end. And as these promises stack up, the last promise is of the Old Testament, the final promise written before 300 years of silence before the birth of Christ, It's actually the promise of the one who would come before, John the Baptist, and who would prepare the way for Jesus. This is the the last verse in the Old Testament. Malachi 4.6 says this, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. That's what the coming of the kingdom of this Messiah is going to look like. It's lived out as we live under the rule of this promised Messiah. Hearts of the fathers turn toward their children, lovingly, patiently, compassionately, bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And the hearts of the children turn toward their fathers. Dad, I want to know. Teach me. Show me the right way. Eagerly learning, willingly obeying. We live that way. We're putting on display, this is the kingdom of God. This is the new creation breaking into this beat up old world. That's what we want to see. 
in spite of our weakness, in spite of our failure, both as children and as parents, none of us walk this out perfectly, oh, so far from it, in spite of our sin that so often undermines us in this. I want to close today I'm resting in the grace of God. It's his mercy that works in and through sinful children and broken parents. His grace covers, and we want to cry out to him again for his help as we seek to live this new life in him. So let's, let's stand and close in song together.